The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So hello and <clears throat> welcome to this last talk on the Four Noble Truths. The last talk, this I guess is a 20th talk on this topic. And um, this can be kind of the concluding talk, the summary talk or something. And I want to uh, start then by uh, bringing up a statement that the Buddha made that uh, the Buddha teaches suffering and the end of suffering. And this very pithy way of really talking about maybe the essence of what the Buddhist teachings is about kind of clears the air, kind of clears it all to point to just the essential elements of what this is about. And it's one of the things that we can kind of keep in the back of the mind that um, all of the teachings of Buddhism, the practices of Buddhism, the way of life that Buddhism is supporting is for this uh, purpose uh, to come to the end of suffering, end of our unease that we might have or end of our uh, distress and stress that we might have. And that <clears throat> with that as a guideline, that principle as a guideline, we then practice and live and reflect on our lives with that in mind. What I'm doing now, does that lead me to greater suffering or does it bring me uh, freedom from suffering, the end of suffering? Is this perspective I'm using now supportive to move to the end of suffering? Is this perspective, this understanding, this practice I'm doing this activity that I'm doing, does it really help not just for the short-term ending of suffering, but really the long-term? And that's an important uh, uh, point because some people are just looking for relief. And relief is not the same thing as release. Relief is temporary. It's just kind of getting back into comfort. It can even be escape from really looking deeply into our lives. The task of ending suffering requires us to look deeply in, to really be present for something, even the great difficulty we have. And if we're too quick to kind of avoid the suffering, the pain, the difficulties that, of our lives, then um, there's not really, we're not really working for the long-term ending of suffering. We have to really kind of be present. And so these Four Noble Truths are the, uh, I think, putting that at the middle, at the center of Buddhism, I, th I, I just really love because it's putting a very pragmatic purpose in the middle of Buddhism without the need for a lot of other beliefs. There's no, no supernatural beliefs, no creeds and beliefs that you don't have to believe in, you know, that seem kind of too, you know, too foreign from what you're about. It's really, uh, it's putting at the center of it, it's something that, that most people can identify with and most people can feel as, um, as a way forward or as a way of responding. That's not much different 
uh, then if you have a thorn in your foot, you pull it out. That's a pragmatic, you know, if you feel the pain of the thorn, you pull the thorn out. And there might be a little bit of pain at first to pull it out, but for the long-term well-being, it's good to pull it out so it doesn't, you know, dig in deeper. And so the Buddha talked about a thorn in the heart and that what he discovered with his awakening was that there's a thorn in the heart and that thorn can be pulled out. And so, you know, it's, it's a, there's a, there's a something, there's an activity, there's a, something extra going on within us that brings on this suffering that we contribute to, this thorn, and that uh, it can be pulled out. We can come to the end of suffering. And I like to think of this as a very naturalistic uh, form of uh, religious life in that it's really kind of orienting itself around a very natural aspect of our felt experience to recognize, we can recognize this in itself. You don't need a big book on Buddhism or a PhD in Buddhism to begin appreciating their, when there's suffering and the absence of it, when there's unease and when there becomes ease. And to use that as a guide and to really look deeply. And these Four Noble Truths are these fourfold perspectives that help us with that task of looking in, at suffering and coming to the end of it. And it turns out that there are many different interpretations. Or maybe the interpretations is maybe a little bit unfortunate explanation. Maybe rather than interpretations, there are many perspectives that different teachers, different people use in this four-foot framework to help them look at the suffering and coming to the end of it. And these different applications, these different perspectives that different people teach about probably worked for them in some degree. And maybe they'll work for us in some settings in our lives. And at certain times, certain perspectives are more useful than others. And I've tried in this uh, four-week series to point out <clears throat> that there's all, the part of the context for understanding the, or the perspective for understanding the Four Noble Truths a little bit depends on <clears throat> the state of our mind or where we are kind of engaged in our or- ordinary life. That in a complex, ordinary life of work and family or activities or whatever we're doing, that um, the or- very ordinary way of thinking is to look at cause and effect. And so to re- sometimes we really spend a lot of time, why did that happen? Why did that happen? And rather than saying, don't do that, that's a completely appropriate sometimes. And we sometimes very deep insight, very deep relief, re- relief, release, healing can happen by understanding a cause. And some people will journal, talk to friends, therapists, and really try to unpack what goes on until they find some really core thing that they see as maybe the cause or the co- co- primary condition that needed to be somehow unraveled and worked out. So the idea of <clears throat> that there's a cause of suffering <clears throat> and then uh, one of to help us out, to really help point us to something that where we have some ability to do something about is to really look within ourselves. There are causes of suffering outside of us, <clears throat> but sometimes we can deal with them and address them, but uh, sometimes we can't. But to really con- look at what am I contributing to this suffering of mine? What's my role in being there? Even if 90% of the cause is external and 10% internal, 
it's a very maturing, <clears throat> it's very uh, liberating, it's a very deepening process to go look at that 10%. Not to ignore the 90% out there, but this is where that seed of awakening, the seed of very deep peace and maturation of wisdom can grow when we really look inside. And so the tradition in this uh, perspective will say, look at the craving, look at thirst, look at drivenness, compulsion. Where is that in the system? And then let go of it, bring it to an end. And because it's difficult to do it, live a life that sets in place the conditions that allows you to be calm, settled, clean enough to look deeply into what's going on here. So that's, you know, a little bit more the traditional understanding of the Four Noble Truths. <clears throat> a whole other perspective, which is really a uh, really powerful current in the teachings of the Buddha, uh, is first is um, to look at the conditions, to look at the ecology, the landscape of suffering. And this is where, as the mind becomes quieter and the mindfulness becomes stronger, we can take a wider look at what's going on. And so we're not just kind of caught up in cause, and caught up maybe with me, myself, and mine, you over there, and what you're doing. And we take it out of the realm of kind of um, um, over-identification around self with this thing and start seeing that there's a wider field of conditionality, of conditions that are in play here. And we learn to work in that, uh, engage in that world of conditions, shifting, moving, developing, letting go of conditions, and to help us with the overcoming of suffering. And this is a part of the um, developing the Eightfold Path, putting in the conditions that support this deeper letting go of the causes of suffering. And then at a deeper level, the the Buddha teaches a lot about, uh, especially in meditation, the tremendous value of being very, very still, quiet, vibrant, kind of very, very clear mind and resting in this peaceful mind and allowing the stream, the river of life just to flow so we see the inconstancy of experience, how it's constantly flowing and moving and arising and passing. And some of the deepest, maybe subconscious areas of holding on and clinging are best addressed not in the world of concepts, ideas, cause, even conditions, but rather at this very primal level of experience, at kind of the, the foundation of experience having to do with how uh, moment-to-moment experience is flowing and moving. And, and any kind of suffering we have involves some, some, uh, some way or other, some attempt to try to stop, block, hold on to, resist, um, this flow of experience that goes on. And to experience it, and th- to experience that flow and then to let go more deeply. And the deepest letting go uh, is in this, you know, this deep letting go in the field of inconstancy. And, uh, but to come to that quiet state of mind where inconstancy can be that powerful of an Im- impact is to... Um, um, you know, it's already to have let go of a lot to be that still and quiet. <clears throat> so, the, so I'm offering them. You know, the, I offered kind of three different perspectives. There are many other perspectives that for this four noble truths, and um, 
and I'll end with what I said at the beginning of the meditation, that we all have a capacity for freedom from suffering, from the suffering that we contribute to, to the forces inside our own heart of conflict, of holding on, of resistance, of fear, of greed and hatred, resentment, envy, all kinds of things, conceit that we have, that, uh, that um, we have a capacity for peace, for ease. And it exists in us originally, perhaps, as a little seed. And that seed needs to be nourished and watered. And if that is seed is uh, nourished and watered and given the right fertile conditions, it will grow into a beautiful plant. And this idea that what's in us is there ready to grow and unfold and move points to a very positive view of human nature, of human beings, our potential, that there's something really good and wholesome and wonderful here waiting for us, a process of liber- liberating process, a process that moves us to peace. And so part of it is to learn how to create a fertile ground for it, how to water it, how to make room for this plant to grow, to get out of the way, how to let something which is a natural process move through us that's distinct from our personal, how to say it, distinct from um, uh, our personal efforts to make and do and accomplish and attain and acquire and all the kind of actions of the self, which is certainly okay in some settings, but there's something which is deeper than self, or you know, some people talk larger than self, um, but there's something within us that's not associated with the way, what we identify as the self, that we define ourselves by, that mostly we don't do but we allow. And this allowing of peace, the allowing of freedom from suffering, allowing the possibility to become free to happen is kind of the whole point of the Four Noble Truths. And, uh, and this ennobling freedom that we all can do. So that's the... Um, that's... Uh, these teachings on the Four Noble Truths. And in a few minutes, I'll take uh, some questions if you have and, um, and try to answer and uh, maybe for the next 15 minutes or so. And in the meantime, I'd like to say that, yes, we're going to continue. Um, I'll continue next week with these uh, early morning sittings. And uh, I haven't decided on the theme for next week. I'd like to have a theme for the week and uh, if I can, I can tell you some ideas I have, if, if you please don't f- commit, commit me to it. Um, I think the top of the list is to do uh, five talks on what's called the seven factors of awakening. There were requests earlier that I teach about it. And the other is to do five talks on uh, metta, on loving kindness. And uh, sooner or later I'll do all of these, but, um, but I'll do something. Uh, next week starting at uh, Monday at, at 7 here in California. So, um, um, so how about the Eightfold Path? Yeah, so the Eightfold Path, as a uh, little bit what I talked about this week, is in one of the interpretations or one of the 
uh, ways of understanding the the fourth noble truth. Uh, the fourth noble truth is dis- defined by the eightfold path, and um, and uh, but there are other interpretations or other perspectives of what the fourth noble truth is. The eightfold path, as the fourth noble truth, is the conditions that uh, uh, enable the cessation of suffering, um, and it's a beautiful path. And so. Certainly, uh, someday we could do a, a series of talks on the Eightfold Path. It would make sense to do that next week, I guess. Maybe that's what the question is about, you know, just follow up. And um, So... Could you please say something about the killings of so many of our African-American brothers and sisters by the police? How does the Dharma guide us in facing these situations? I think that um, that the Four Noble Truths also apply uh, in our society. And I, sometimes I like the idea that the Four Noble Truths uh, don't, have any, uh, don't have any pronouns associated with them. So sometimes uh, what we want to do is actually turn our gaze and study the suffering in the world, and really look at it clearly, be a witness to it. Sometimes the world needs us to be a witness for the suffering of the world, to not turn away from it, and use our capacity to have some ease with what's tremendously painful, to stay present and really see it and take it in and try to understand. And it might mean that we uh, we have our heart broken. I think I, my heart breaks regularly in what's happening with uh, the uh, killing of African Americans in this country is so uh, more than heartbreaking. It's just uh, wrenching that this should happen. But to be willing to stay open and to feel that and to look at it and um, and to become wiser by it and allow yourself to become different because of it. Allow yourself to become a better person. The more distressed you feel about what goes on in our society, the more important it is that you do something about it. It doesn't mean that you go to Minneapolis or something and talk to the police chief or whatever. It means that somehow in, you, in the way that you, your life li- uh, is lived, that uh, you learn, you learn something more about uh, what's going on in our society so you can become changed. You do uh, something that benefits people in this regard. I, I, you know, it could be very small what you do. But if we don't, if we're not changed by the things that upset us, then I think um, we're probably not free. But to be willing to look at what's happening, be a witness to it, take our time with it, and then be changed, and try to uh, uh, be an agent of change for one way or the other. There's many things we can be, we can do. So. So, I've been meditating for many years. While my concentration has improved, my mind still wanders so much and anxiety arrives. Is this normal? I think it's best to consider everything normal, to normalize everything, uh, because then it's really easier to be at ease with it. And then seeing whatever's happening with you in meditation is normal, 
then the question is, given this that's happening, what is wise? What is a helpful way to go forward from here? And, um, and I'm happy that your concentration is improved over time. And so it might be that at some point when you're able to sit quiet enough and concentrated enough, what needs your concentration is the anxiety itself. And so then at some point when the mind wanders off, don't come back to the breath to get concentrated. Uh, turn your attention towards the suffering and uh, towards the anxiety. And that anxiety might need you. And one of the things I like to teach is you want to help your anxiety feel safe. You want to be able to hold it in the palm of your awareness and just let it be safe and, and uh, not criticize, not trying to fix it, not try to get rid of it because then anxiety is going to feel even worse. But rather to hold it, be a witness to that. And, uh, and see what happens and see what you can learn and see what it wants and really understand uh, just by being with it. And sometimes anxiety and fear held that way will reveal itself what's going on. And sometimes it'll just begin to relax finally. Uh, you know, I'm being held, I'm being seen here. So I'm trying to follow these in order. I can. I think it's a little hard for me, but to, oh, this way maybe. Can you post the IRC oatmeal recipe on this site? I felt so taken care of at IRC. Well, that's very sweet. Uh, those of you who haven't been to IRC might not know it's the teachers. Uh, who make the oatmeal in the morning at the retreats? We make the teachers uh, make breakfast and put it out, and um, and so it's you know our jo- our job to make the oatmeal. And uh, what's the recipe? Is um, I think it's a standard oatmeal recipe. Uh, the only difference, maybe, from what the box says, is uh, be sure to put a lot of love and mindfulness into it. How do we know if we are practicing the right effort, with right effort? Uh, Previously, I think I was straining too much. So now I'm wondering if I'm not going too easy. Great question. This is the perfect question for finding right effort. Uh, Everyone needs to find it for themselves, and that's the question to ask. Am I straining? Am I trying too hard? Or am I trying too little? Am I complacent or too easygoing? And inevitably, people will swing back and forth between those two. Sometimes it's at extreme ends of them, the swing is, but as the practice goes deeper, it's narrower and narrower swings. But there's always little swings going on. And, um, and not that you're always looking at the question of what is right effort. Sometimes you're close enough, but then you, know, you kind of feel. And so, um, and so this idea of, of suffer, uh, tuning into suffering, tuning into unease, is actually a very important help for meditation practice because if we become increasingly sensitive to where the unease is, where the stress is, where the, the discomfort is, sooner or later you'll feel the discomfort of trying too hard. And you'll feel a kind of discomfort, a dissatisfaction that comes with not trying enough. And in this way, we, we become our own teacher and we make little adjustments to find our way. I am interested in how to apply the Eightfold Path in everyday life. Wonderful. 
So I'll think about maybe one of these uh, weeks to maybe spend time on the Eightfold Path. And uh, let's see. Yeah, so am I... And not relevant for today's talk, but is there a permanent part within, according to the Buddha, like the Parisha or Atman, your view on reincarnation? Yeah, it's a very important and big part of, I think, some of the religions of India is to this idea that there's a permanent, everlasting Atman, or kind of like a soul. Sometimes we translate it as self within us. And um, so the Buddha was very interesting in that um, he... Uh, it was very pragmatic in that he was really only looking at what we can really see for ourselves and need to see for ourselves to become free of suffering. And I would say he was not that interested in whether there is or is not a permanent self. Um, but he did have a teaching called Anatta, Anatman. And it isn't so much that there is no self, but rather in the world of experience, what we can actually directly know for the purposes of liberation um, nothing in our experience is that self, is that permanent self. If there is a permanent self beyond the realm of experience, I think the Buddha would have said it's not really that relevant. And so it wasn't really of interest for him. And so uh, with respect for other religions that do emphasize that, then we could look more carefully at those religions and see that there's a lot of similarities and a lot of ways in which these two the different traditions in some ways are not that different. Um, even though one posits one thing and one posits another, they're all looking towards liberation and all have to work through many of the same issues to get to what they think is a liberated state. We become the ripples in the stream. I appreciate all these comments and this connection to all of you and it makes it very rich to sit here and and uh, try to teach and feel connected to you. How can we best support you in your practice? Ah, well that's very nice to ask. Just you're asking that makes a difference for me. Um, I think that... Um, I think I, I just uh, am supported by the people who practice. And if you practice sincerely, uh, that inspires me and supports me and will support many, many people. That's really the best way that I can be supported. Is there a book from Bhikkhu Bodhi that you recommend? Oh, I think... Uh, just about everything in Bhikkhu Bodhi is worth very, very much worthwhile reading. He's a great thinker, and I use his translations a lot. And but his commentary on the suttas, his commentary on Buddhism, his reflection—he's a wonderful thinker and wonderful 
a practitioner and really sweet, kind man. And uh, so I think that um, it's all you know, it's always useful to read Bhikkhu Bodhi. How can the Buddha help me lose weight? Yeah, there's a, there's apparently a king in time of the Buddha. They were kind of uh, friends, uh, Pesenadi, uh, who apparently was overweight. And the Buddha seems to have given him some advice, but I don't know what that is. And I, I quite it's in the suttas. I don't know quite where it is, but um, the uh, I, you know the uh, hopefully mindfulness and concentration and this inner practice that we do uh, helps us to have the right attitude and the right approach and right discipline for whatever is needed in terms of weight, whether it's uh, losing weight or whether it's learning to be at ease with the weight that we have. So, so okay. So I'm sorry if I missed some of the questions here, but it's uh, time to end. And um, so thank you. And I feel very uh, fortunate to have this a chance to kind of uh, uh, unfold these teachings on the Four Noble Truths in the way I did. I hope it's been clear enough and helpful enough for this. And, um, and for some of you who don't know much about this, maybe it's a nice beginning to uh, re- uh, reflect a little bit about this very important Buddhist teaching. So... Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I look forward to perhaps seeing many of you again on Monday. Bye-bye.